Today we're going to kind of piggyback and, and do a two-week part mini-series within the bigger series of trust about the idea of trusting his faithfulness, which will lead into trusting his future next week. And I want you to start by looking at Acts 9-9, as we're in Acts chapter 9, this whole series. And here's what it says. And he was referring to Paul, or Saul, because he was yet to become Paul, was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Saul was going through this time of transformation. He was going through a, a time where he was hearing from God and speaking to God. But I want you to start by understanding this one thing. The person that made Saul blind in that picture was God. God made Saul blind. Is that cruel? I, I, that's an honest question, right? Is that cruel? But I want to start by kind of unpacking it, maybe explaining it to you like this. When I was about uh, four years old, there was hardly anything I loved more than when my dad and my parent, my mom would wake us up to go on a trip. And I remember my dad coming into the room and like picking me up and putting me in the back of the van. We had one of those 18, 18 kind of 80s vans, you know. And back then we didn't have seat belts, so four o'clock was great. You just put a blanket and a pallet and no seat belts. Yes, I'm archaic, okay? And so we'd go to sleep in that. And I loved that. I loved my dad picking me up, picking my brothers up and laying us in the bed and falling asleep and waking up down the road, sometimes not even knowing where I was going. I was like four or five years old, right? And, but hearing the rumble of the road and, and sitting there thinking, this is an adventure. This is awesome. Now, here's the thing. When I was four, I didn't care where I was going. I knew my dad was leading me. I, I knew that, that he was going to take care of us. And I remember one time the car broke down and I remember thinking, oh, that's a bummer. But dad was still there. And some of you didn't have good fathers, and, I, and I'm, I'm really sorry for that. And, but I wanted to know there is a good father. And I think sometimes in these course of these discussions, as we're trying to understand why would God allow us to be blind, it's to remind us to be the inner child, to, to remind us that you are a son or a daughter, and that there needs to be trust in what God is doing in and through us in the process. So how do you need to trust God in your life? How do you need to trust that he is doing something in your life? That creates another set of conditions and another problem, right? Because, well, we are skeptical. Daniel, you told me to be skeptical last week. I did tell you to be skeptical last week. Good job. But skeptical at its nth degree is not healthy. And the reality is a lot of us are skeptical because we live in an American marketing world. You know what I'm saying? From the time that you were born, you've been marketed. You know this. You, you know that you watched TV from the time you're four and, or three, and, and you went to your mom and you said, Mom, can I have this cool thing, right? And she's like, no, where did you hear about that? On TV, right? Marketing works. It just does. And so we are taught, and, and this generation growing up especially is taught to doubt everything because everything is being shoved in your face. Have a skeptical lens because anything and everything is ultimately the consumer being used by the company that is selling them the product. And that's how a lot of times people view the church. 
I listened to a podcast this last week by Dave Kinnaman that was shared by Drew Phillips um, and our staff. And in this course of this podcast, he said this following statement, that he interviewed a youth who is going to his church, and he's like, how do you like the youth group? And he goes, I really don't. The only reason I'm here is because the church wants my parents to come, so they've targeted the youth so they know I will come because they know that they want them to come because they have the money. Did you follow that? No? I could do it again. It's this mentality that the youth was like, they don't really care about me. The youth workers paid to be there. They, they don't really care. Uh, they want me because they see my parents as a product and as a part of getting me in the church. They've advertised themselves as being a cool youth group to get me there because they know my parents will come. This is the world we live in. And the reality is there is a lot of consumerism. And the reality is in the course of life, there are deeper issues that we have to struggle with. We know that we are being marketed. And so we don't really trust the church. Let me give you another example. A couple years ago, we do things thing called Servanthood Saturday. Um, and now it's Servanthood Sunday, and you can sign up for that. Uh, we got that coming up. It'll be great. We go out and serve the community. And the idea is serve the community with the love of Christ. Here's the problem. No one believes us. And so we did something one time. We actually had free car washes, and we're trying to give away free car washes on a sunny, warm day, and nobody would take them. Free car washes. We had youth holding up signs, free car washes. And they're like, oh, yeah, you want, you, then you want a tip. No, absolutely free. So we write, absolutely free. Free car washes. All right, you want tips. And so we write, no tips. Okay, what's the angle here? There isn't one. Why would you do this? What do you really want from me? We could not give them away. Because everything in our culture says you're being marketed. So when you come in here, what you may not realize is very likely when you come into a gathering like this, you don't shut that marketing mentality down. Sound effects help. <laughs> you don't shut that down. And so there's this radar that sits there and goes, they want me for the offering plate. They want me to serve in the nursery. They want me for, here's what I want you to see. God. And the way that we know that we're doing this well is when it's about God. The way that we know we're doing it poorly is when we start marketing our church over God. How does that happen? Well, here's an example. A lot of times people come to me and they go, oh, Daniel, did you know there's another church plant in town? I'm like, great. Did you not hear there's a church plant in town? I know, that's awesome. Why? More people to know about Jesus. But what if they take our members? What if they do? Or, here's another favorite one. People come to me and they go, Daniel, here's why I like Calvary. Here's why Calvary is the best church. Wrong. Now hear me. Calvary, I hope if you come here and are a part of this place, is the place where you feel like God has placed you. And as a person who feels placed here, I hope that there's ownership with that. But let's not... Excuse ownership for arrogant pride saying we're better than the others. 
Because that's when we buy into the consumer mentality that this place exists for my benefit, my glory. And it's dating back to Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church. It ain't about you. That was not a direct quote because Rick Warren would never use the word ain't. But I'm a Texan, so I do. All right? It's not about you. And so when we come to church, we're naturally wired to sit there and go, because this is what we're taught in our world today. What's in it for me? Here's what's in it for you. You get to experience the presence of God. And as you experience the presence of God, if you seek Him, and as He really begins to speak into your life, as He really, then ultimately that's what is best for you. And so there are rewards in that, but you have to understand it's not first and foremost about you receiving the rewards. It's about first and foremost, you find your creator and declaring to the nations, you are worthy, worthy of our praise, Jesus. This is what it's about. And if we are anything other than that, we need to repent. Now, let's bounce this out because I want you to see this very carefully. We dress a certain way around here because we want you to feel comfortable. We have fancy band stuff, right? Drum cages, that's a drum cage. If you didn't know what that is called, it's called a drum cage. Why? Because if we didn't have it, drums are loud, people. They would. And you'd be, somebody would be going, I'm not coming back to that church. The drums are too loud. And I get that. It's not about you, though. And the reality is we try to find this balance of understanding. We want you to connect with God and we want to make it easy, but we don't want to make it too easy because sometimes following Jesus shouldn't be easy. Because when Jesus grabs a hold of your heart, he says, I'm going to send you to places you thought you'd never go. So maybe just maybe today, We need to set aside our consumeristic mentality and trust that God wants to do something in us. Trusting his faithfulness and believing God is who he says he is. God is not selling himself to you something that you don't really need. God is saying, I am what you need. And that's where we rest. So how do we know that what God is saying, how do we hear from God? How does God reveal himself today in this world to us? Because there's a lot of false markets out there, right? Even some people who claim to follow God, there's some false markets out there. How do we know it's really the voice of God? Acts 9, 10 through 15. Let's find some ways that God reveals himself to us. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, Here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. And the Lord said to him, To the uh, the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in. Hey, that's me, right? That's what he's thinking. And placing his hand on him so that he may regain his sight. Now, I love this. I always say this over and over again. The Bible is full of humor if you know how to see it, okay? Here's Ananias. Uh, Lord? Ananias answered, um, can you just imagine him kind of hesitating there? Um, I've heard from many people about this man. Like, do you know this man, right? Uh, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem and how he has authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. 
in, in great big parentheses. He might do that to me, God. Do you know that? Right? But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. In this passage, you see God speaking to Ananias. We already saw God speaking to Saul. So there's different ways that God does reveal himself. There's two broader topics. One is called general revelation. We've covered this before. General revelation is where we said, oh, you look and hold a brand new baby and you go, God's real. You know, that kind of thing. Or you see the beautiful Indiana sunset and, or you're in the mountains and you go, how could this just happen by a mathematical anomaly? You know, improbability, excuse me. How could this, it just doesn't happen. And in fact, every culture on the planet has worshiped God. Why? Because there's something innate in us that says this couldn't just be because of a bunch of atoms colliding and just causing us to have breath and lungs. This has to be orchestrated. This has to be put together. It just doesn't make sense otherwise. In fact, I think it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a follower of God. Just think it does. Now, that's general revelation, but God still does speak to us. And one of the ways he speaks to us is through specific revelation. And specific revelation has three different ways. And the first one is God speaks directly to you. That would be awesome. You know, you're sitting in the room and you go, Daniel, yes, Lord, (laughs) right? But it would probably scare you. And so God, I don't know about you, I've never heard God in an audible voice. If you have, maybe come find me later. Maybe not today, because that might be a longer conversation. Um, but the reality is, most of us in this room clearly have not heard an audible voice. Do you hear like that? I said that clearly has not heard it. Okay. But the reality is, God still does speak to us. Have you ever opened the Bible in just the right way? And at just the right time? And God's saying, hey, this was for you. Here's another one. You ever been in your car, and you're sitting there angry at the world, and you turn on the radio because music's going to help you, and that K-Love song comes on, and you're mad because you don't want to be one of those people that says, the K-Love song spoke to me, right? And you're like, well, of course it spoke to me. They only play the same four songs, and I get that. (laughs) But in that moment, it was if God put that song on the radio for you, right? You ever had that friend just call you up randomly and say, God speaks directly to his people if you listen. But there's a danger. There's a danger because sometimes we think God is speaking to us when he's actually not, or there's a danger because we can force it. I knew a story of a man who said, God, I'm going to open my Bible and whatever it says to do, I'm going to do. And he opened it up and he read, Judas hung himself. (laughs) Now that in this day and age, is, is somewhat funny, but also not at all. But that's the danger sometimes. We have the same approach. Is we just sit there and we go, whatever God says to do, we turn on the radio and it's not the song that God is speaking to us. Or we, we misinterpret what the scripture is saying to us. And so God speaks to us sometimes through other ways to verify it. And one of that is through our life experiences. Why did Saul need to be blind except to go through the experience to see how God would lead him along the way. And through your experiences, God actually reveals himself and allows your faith to grow. And as your faith grows, you learn to trust him more. Let me, let me give you another example of this, a couple examples, personal examples. I've been in a time in my life where we had $23 in the bank, 
my wife was eight months pregnant with our oldest kid, and we had a $5,000 bill come up. And I remember going, I ain't got $5,000. You got $5,000? So what do I do with about this $5,000 bill? So my plan was I'm going to go low and holy and, and, and humbly call my dad and say, Dad, can I have a loan and I'll pay you back over the next 42 years, right? <laughs> but before I could do this, the very next day after I found about this $5,000 uh, bill, my wife got a check in the mail from her grandfather wanting to her to have her inheritance early, and the check was for $5,000. And some of you are like, that's crazy. I know. It's like almost like we practice what we preach. Trust the Lord your God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Right? You know, it's like, and you're sitting there going, that's creepy. Does it happen all the time? Because I want to sign up for that. And I would say it does, but you can't sign up for it like that because we're not the name and claim it kind of congregation because that's not biblical. We're in a trust God and he will direct you kind of way. And I'm thankful for God's timing because if that check had come a week earlier, my wife and I would have gone to Outback Steakhouse and we'd have had no rules and eaten just right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we'd have gone to, we'd have gone to uh, Ikea and we would have still been upset because we'd have spent $2,000 in furniture that I would still to this day be trying to understand how to put together based on those instructions. And I would have pushed them over and been mad because we then would have had a $5,000 bill. We'd been like, why don't we go spend $150? in steak and $2,000 in furniture. If we didn't know in this bill, God orchestrated it just the right time because he's that good. God is also good in the bad times. I remember standing on the side of the road with two of my students dying. And I remember him saying, my presence is here. And surrounding me with his presence. I've seen God orchestrate some great things through this church. Do you know we've had some difficult times in this church the last few years? But you know what I still see? God moving in lives. Marriages being saved. People coming to know the Lord, following him in baptism. Church continuing to grow. Financially, people giving away and learning to sacrifice. People serving on Sunday afternoons and Saturday. People rocking babies. I love that. Because God is faithful. And he will use the experiences of your life to prove you can trust him. In the third way, he specifically reveals himself as not only through a direct word, and not only through your experiences, but through other people. Through other people. When he spoke to Ananias, did you ever ask yourself, why did he send Ananias Ananias didn't need to go. I mean, he could have just said, Saul, I want you to go through this journey, and oh, you're going to be blind for three days, and then boop, there it goes. Now you can see. How good am I? I think he sent Ananias. This is kind of my opinion on that, but I think he sent Ananias there to verify, Saul, this is of God. Hey, your story matches my story. That's pretty cool. God told me to come tell you and meet you and said that you had scales in your eyes. Oh, that's kind of gross, but you know, and those are going to fall out. And, and, and Saul's like, that's what God told me. Pretty awesome. God uses people to verify sometimes that he is moving in your life. And in just the right moment, in just the right time, sometimes God will send that friend to send you a text. Sometimes God will send that person to come and pray for you. Sometimes God will even use a lowly little pastor like me to speak into your life. Which now leads me to read one of the verses that I don't really like to read. But I want to read to you uh, Hebrews 13, 17. It says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls, 
as those who will give an account. So they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So they could do this with joy and not with grief. Let me tell you how this translates into my life. I'm scared to death when I preach to you. Am I allowed to admit that? I'm scared to death because, well, you all have faces and sometimes you smile and sometimes you frown. Sometimes you don't even laugh at my jokes and that really hurts my feelings. It's okay, my wife gave up years ago. But the reality is I'm ultimately scared because I know what I say I'm going to be held accountable for. And I pour my heart and my effort because I recognize that I, for good or for bad, am a leader of this church. Hopefully not the leader, hopefully that's Jesus Christ, but God has placed me here to be the lead pastor of this church and I don't take that lightly. And in this consumeristic world, and then you should be a little bit cynical. You should sit there and go, is this of God? Does he use the scripture? But if you look at what I'm saying and it checks off all the boxes, can I ask you to do me a favor? Don't take what I say or what Drew says or what anyone who's on the stage as a suggestion. As that this might be good for your life. Because I actually grieve when I stand up before you and I say, this is the way that you can connect with God. This is the way that, that you can really find life and find joy and peace and, and hope. And they sit there and you go, yeah, nah. And I rejoice with you when you sit there and you go, I found Jesus. And I go, yes. And I know there's times when you're by nature in the world we live in going to take what I show up and you're going to sit there and you go, do I believe that this person is genuine? And some of you are even been so jaded that in my attempt to say, I understand you're sitting there going, no, you don't. This is a show. This is not real. And I would encourage you to seek the Father and ask it. And if so, then I would encourage you that when God's leaders stand up before you and say, Thus saith the Lord, you heed it for what it is. And you obey. And I promise you, I'll do my part to do the best I can. Even though sometime I will fail you because I'm still human. In some seasons in your life, you're going to be Saul. In this story, let's find out real quick what Saul is. You'll be led on a spiritual journey. You'll be blind. You're sitting there going to go, what's the next step? And you'll need to empty yourself to be filled up. You'll need to empty yourself to be filled up. Why? Because you won't know what the next step is. You're going to have to repent, and you're going to have to turn from things that have hindered you, and you're going to have to go through the transformation process, and you're going to be blind, and you're going to be the four-year-old kid going, I don't know where to go. And you can either sit there and go, I'm a four-year-old, I'm in charge of my life, or you can sit there and go, Father, pick me up and take me on the ride. I trust you. And you will have to submit yourselves to the leadership of God at times, and occasionally to the leadership of of his followers. 
Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me. Did you get that? The Lord has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd like to think I wouldn't be here unless the Lord sent me. And at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Sometimes in your life you will be Saul and you'll need to repent and you'll need to lead. But our statement around here is we are followers who make followers of Jesus. So sometimes you're going to need to be Ananias in this role. And you'll be asked to go where you never imagined. Like to a cornfield in the middle of Indiana when you're from Texas. I do know February is coming, right? It's cold. You'll need to be a representative of God. And you'll have to submit to God's leadership. This is a, a troubling and a difficult place to be in the world we're living in, where everything is marketed and everything is said. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Realize the priority of hearing the voice of God. Can I give you just a little, we're going to talk about the church in a couple of weeks, but let me give you a little soundbite, if you will. Make this a priority. Even better yet, for those of you who have kids, make it a priority for them. But what if they don't want to come? They're going to grow up and resent. Are they going to resent working hard because you make them go to school? Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> are they going to resent vegetables when they grow older because you make them eat them? Maybe. But you still shove them down their faces, I think. Are they going to resent you giving them a flu shot? I hope that the church isn't feel like a flu shot, but even if it does, if it vaccinates them for the long being, we're going to do it. And it's not because we want them to be in an environment that's good for them if we want them to find the power of what God wants to say to them, in order for them to hear the voice of the Lord, they need to be around his people, his leaders, his word. And then in the long run, I want you to ask, is this about you? Do you have a consumer mentality? Or do you have a trusting mentality? Are you willing to go wherever he says go and to do what he says to do? And this is a difficult place to be. Let me give you one closing story as we wrap this up before we do communion. When I was uh, very, very young, I was in college, uh, 20 years old. I was going to um, Texas. I was preaching God's word to all these little small towns in Texas. I was the revival speaker for nine straight weeks to all these small towns in Texas. And when I say small towns, like... Think of the belt buckle that said Bubba. That's where I was going. One church literally had a spittoon where the guys would drop their chaw. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these places made Oxford look like a metropolis. All right? And I would go to these towns and I would preach because they couldn't afford a real evangelist. They got me. And I would go with the youth guy and I would go with the worship guy. And I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. The youth guy preached Wednesday night. And here's how quickly this turns into something bad. Because three weeks in, I was angry at God. You know why I was angry with God? Because the youth guy was speaking on Wednesday night. And he'd seen about 12 people follow Christ when he was preaching. And three weeks in, I'd preached five services a week and had zero. 
And I remember going, God, what's the deal? I, I think I'm doing this good. I want to see some fruit. And I remember showing up this young lady named Eva who was uh, deaf. And I was trying to translate for her during the youth. I shared this like four years ago. I was trying to translate. The, the youth guy was speaking. I couldn't keep up, so I gave up. We went and played Uno. <laughs> this is yellow, in case you're wondering. Um, the reality is when we were playing Uno, I started to get convicted. I need to talk to her about God. And so through a course of a long conversation, writing it out after an hour and a half later, Eva received Christ. And we went to the youth minister and the pastor and, and we said, hey, Eva's received Christ. He goes, what's the next step? And he goes, well, baptism. And he said, I can baptize you or Daniel's here. He can baptize you. And she looked at me and she said, I want him to baptize me. And later that night, I, Eva became the first person I ever baptized and she was deaf. And as I got her in the water, I said, Eva, does Jesus live in your heart? She said, Yes. And as I baptized her and raised her up out of the water, the entire congregation, all 22 of them, went like this, which is the death sign for clapping. And I remember right then in the moment going, it's not about you, stupid. <laughs> I'm not here to sell you on what I believe. And I need you to believe that. I'm here to tell you that the God of this universe looks down right where you are and says, child, you are mine. You are loved. You are valued. Rest in me. And if you find that, you'll find life. It's not a product. It's Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to find him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you can be saved. You might go, what does that mean? Come talk to us in the next step space immediately after the service. We'd love to talk to you about it. For those who have a relationship with Jesus, here's our Monday morning application. I want you to look for the way that God reveals himself this week because maybe, just maybe, he has been speaking to you and you've just been ignoring it like a man watching a football game when his wife's talking to him. <laughs> Honey! Wait, were you talking? God is saying, I'm here. And then I want you to submit to his leadership. Not me, his leadership. And whatever that looks like for you.